Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I have been presenting a series of programs on the fundamental doctrines that are expressed in Hebrews chapter 6, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. In the previous broadcast, I was talking about the instructions about washings, and in this program, I'd like to talk about the doctrines of laying on of hands. But to begin with, let me start in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, where it says, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, and this we will do if God permits. And of course, the writer is referring to the fundamental doctrines of the faith, the elementary teachings, and that these are things that the writer wants us to move beyond. However, in order to move beyond these teachings, it's often quite necessary to talk about these teachings, because for the most part, people have not moved on from these teachings in Christianity today, because they don't know what these teachings are. There are a lot of assumptions concerning what these teachings are, and of course I could be accused of making assumptions myself. However, I'm taking the position that the reason why most Christians are not maturing in their faith is because they don't know the fundamentals of the faith. And so if they don't know the fundamentals of the faith, you should expect that they would not really mature in their faith, not in a significant way. And so, of course, I am going to be making some assumptions. That is one of them. And I am going to be referring to a lot of things that people do believe and the assumptions that they make in order to enforce what they believe. Now, in order to deal with this subject, I think it's very important to first understand where most people are getting their doctrines from, where most people are getting their teachings from, or at least the assumptions that they make when they are referring to these specific teachings that the writer of this letter to the Hebrews is referring to. Now, what most people normally do when they want to know about things like ritual washings or laying on of hands or faith towards God, when people want to know about these things or when they want to try and define a lesson or a teaching or a doctrine concerning these subjects, the way that most people handle it is they take what is referred to as an academic approach. And what I mean by an academic approach is that people will go into the scriptures from an academic point of view, from an academic perspective and go through a traditional exercise of trying to extract the doctrine from within the scriptures. Now, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that approach. However, I think that most people are going at it or taking this approach without enough available information in order to really come to the correct conclusions. Now, I understand personally, I understand academic exercises very well. I taught for many years in a university environment. I know what it is to go through this exercise. But this is what people do. They go into the scriptures and they identify all of the examples that they can find in the scriptures concerning each individual subject. And so when it comes to the 
ritual washings or the, the doctrines or the teachings concerning washings, baptisms, things like that. They go into the scriptures and collect all of the scriptures that refer to the subject of baptism or ritual washings. And then once you have all of them, then you examine all of them collectively and see how they might all fit together in order to identify some consistency of some kind. So we could say that on a consistent basis or on a regular basis, this is going to be the conclusion concerning ritual washings. And the way that this works out is that people will say, well, because they did it this way, this is the way that we should do it. And with that assumption, with that procedure or that methodology of analysis, what people do is they then say that because people did it this way back then, we should do it the same way right now. And what people acquire or what they derive is a system, a religious system, or a set of religious procedures with the belief that if we follow the same behavior as everyone else, then somehow spiritual revelations will then result because of our behavior, because of our actions, because of our imitating what people did in the past. This is the fundamental assumption that many people make in order to identify and derive their doctrines. Now, when people do this, what they do is they come up with theologies. They come up with fundamental, foundational theologies, and they use these theologies in order to interpret other parts of the scriptures. Two of the most popular competing theologies, as an example, is covenantal theology and dispensational theology. And I, of course, disagree with both of those theologies. However, they are very popular. Many people do follow these theologies or these systems of thought, these perspectives or these ways of interpreting the scriptures. And for the most part, I don't have any need to debate people concerning these things. I just don't really agree. But it doesn't mean that it's so important to me that I feel I should devote a significant amount of airtime or recording time concerning these things. I'm only mentioning that these are common conclusions. I will say from an academic perspective that they are very good conclusions. From a spiritual perspective concerning how we understand our God, I think that they are very much in error. But I will say from an academic perspective that they are definitely very reasonable conclusions, that these are theologies that do make sense from an academic perspective, if that is the approach that a person wants to take concerning these specific theologies and doctrines. I think that these are reasonable conclusions. But here's one of the fundamental flaws or one of the main problems concerning this perspective or concerning this methodology or this approach. And that is that there are often contradictions with the data that you have at your disposal. For example, in one area of the scriptures, things may have been done in one way, but in another area of the scriptures, things are done in another way. For example, concerning ritual washings, in some cases, people received the Holy Spirit before they were baptized in water, and in other cases, they received the Holy Spirit after they were baptized in water. And so how do you reconcile the differences concerning how people receive the Holy Spirit as a result of their ritual washings or as a result of their baptism? How do you come to a conclusion concerning that? When it comes to the laying on of hands, the same thing applies. A person may say that a blessing is conferred or authority is transferred through the laying on of hands. Well, that certainly was taking place in some circumstances, but not all circumstances. And so how do we say that a person can only receive authority 
to teach the scriptures or to be an elder, or how can we say that a person can only receive a blessing through the laying on of hands when it wasn't always that way? And so how do you come to your conclusions? Well, this is what happens. What people eventually have to do is they have to choose. They have to choose to acknowledge some passages in the scriptures and not really acknowledge other passages of the scriptures. Now, in some cases, it is, of course, just outright denial, and some people feel comfortable with that. In other cases, people will say, well, that was one covenant, and we now live under another covenant. That's covenantal theology. From a dispensational point of view, people will say, well, at one dispensation, this is how God related to us, and these were his expectations. But then in another time, in another dispensation, these were his expectations of us, and this is how we lived and how we functioned religiously in order to live as he wanted us to live, in order for us to properly behave according to his expectations. These are the kinds of conclusions that people will come up with in order to remove themselves from outright denial. And, of course, they certainly look a lot better than people who just simply deny passages that are in the scriptures. I, of course, take a very different perspective. And concerning this, I would really like to encourage you to listen to the series of programs that I did on the book of Acts, where I went through the book of Acts verse by verse. And I do believe that if you were to take the time to listen to those programs that I developed concerning that study, concerning the book of Acts, that you will have a greater appreciation for what I really believe concerning the development of the early church, the struggles they went through, how these doctrines were correct and how they should be expected to be believed or seen within the scriptures concerning the transitions that the people went through as they discovered the fullness of what the Lord Jesus had actually accomplished for them. I'm not going to get into that in this program because I've already done a lot of work concerning this particular subject and those other programs. In this case, I'm just wanting to mention the reality that many people try to derive doctrines or they support their beliefs by going into the scriptures and deriving a collection of verses and through trying to reconcile them as best they can, they eventually come to a conclusion. I don't see it that way. I see things very differently. Let me go ahead and move into the subject of laying on of hands, that this is a fundamental doctrine of the faith. And I think you'll appreciate a little bit more what my perspective is after I give my explanation concerning this. Now, in most cases, people look at it from the perspective of conferring blessings or the transference of authority or the impartation of spiritual gifts or healing or perhaps in this way a person can receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit. These are some of the common beliefs that people have concerning this. And so I'm going to briefly address each one of these. Let me start with the conferring of blessings. That if you want to be blessed, then somebody needs to lay their hands upon you who obviously have also been blessed themselves or they have the authority to confer this particular blessing. There are many people who do believe this to the extent where they don't necessarily believe that they can be blessed in any other way. And again, as I was explaining earlier, I do believe that a person can receive a unique blessing from the Lord, that he does personally interact with us, and he is an active participant in our lives. However, what I do not believe is that this is a requirement. And there is, of course, many examples in the scriptures to show that some people received a blessing from the Lord through the laying on of hands from somebody else, but there are examples where there was no requirement, where no one did lay hands on an individual and they still received a form of a blessing. 
And so seeing that, I think we can agree, I think we should be able to agree that there is no requirement of the laying on of hands in order to make this happen or for this to take place. But I do believe that based on the way that people live religiously, I have found that there are many people who believe that they cannot receive a blessing from God unless this happens. Now, of course, when I confront them concerning this, they will deny that that's what they believe. However, the way that they actually live, this is a reflection of their attitude. This is a reflection of the way that they function in their daily lives. I do believe something very different. For example, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it is written, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That refers, of course, to the heavenly places, the spiritual realm of reality. Consider Second Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. This is Second Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, where he wrote, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. And so I believe this is a passage that can be referred to concerning life right now and not just life in a spiritual sense or a life in the spiritual sense in the future, but can also be referred to right now. In this sense, what I'm saying is that we have already been blessed We have already been given all blessings. We have already been given all things, all grace, all power pertaining to life and godliness. And so if we have received all, then I think that's reasonable evidence to show that he hasn't left anything out. That through the inheritance that we have received as a result of the death of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, we have received all things that we need for life, for godliness, for spiritual functionality in the heavenly places and also in our lives right now and today. And so if we have received all things, and what is it that people are really looking for? What are they hoping to obtain? They're hoping to obtain blessings from God through the laying on of hands that quite likely have nothing to do with what he ever came to give or contradicts the reality that he has already given them to us and we simply are not aware of that being the case. Now, I'm not saying this to ridicule the laying on of hands for the conferring of blessings. If the Lord should so lead you to do so, then by all means, I would certainly encourage it. However, the way that it's normally used today is not through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but is instead used as a means of people trying to assert their authority over other people, over other people's lives, and in some ways they declare their authority by suggesting that they might withhold their blessings upon individuals if these individuals do not behave as they believe that they should be behaving, such as going to church, going to their particular church, or behaving in certain ways concerning sins in their life, things like that. It's often used as a means of manipulation and control. The subject of transference of authority is another thing that people often refer to when it comes to the subject of the laying on of hands. But again, there are many examples in the scriptures where people do receive authority and no one laid hands on them. And so we cannot say that this is a mandatory thing or that this is even a fundamental doctrine necessarily. Because if this was a fundamental doctrine, it would be better defined in the scriptures. And it just isn't the case. 
when it comes to the impartation of spiritual gifts. Again, just as the transference of authority, we could look into the scriptures and see that there are some examples where people did receive spiritual gifts as part of the laying on of hands. But not everybody received spiritual gifts through the laying on of hands. The important thing here is not really the laying on of hands. The important thing here to me is the acknowledgement that there are spiritual gifts. But if these are spiritual gifts, these are not given by us. They are given by our God. He is the one who gives a gift that is spiritual. And so if he is the one who does this, he can do that with us or without us. He can do it with our permission or without our permission. He does not need another believer in my life in order to transfer or give any gift to me. He can do that himself. He is not constrained by us. And unfortunately, what many people believe does lead to that type of conclusion, whereas many people may not be willing to admit it, they actually function and live their daily lives as though that is the truth, that there is a constraint that the Lord needs us in order to transfer spiritual gifts, things that he wants to give to us. And I do believe that these are gifts that are to be given to others, that they are gifts that we receive that we can give to others. But that is something that I should say for a study on the spiritual gifts. Concerning healings, again, certainly people were healed as others laid hands upon them, but other people were healed who did not receive the laying on of hands. And so this is something that we cannot officially define as a fundamental doctrine because of the discrepancies in the system, because of the discrepancies in the methodology. Because if we want to hold to this as a fundamental doctrine, there would need to be enough consistency in the scriptures and no contradictions that could lead us to a different conclusion. The idea of receiving the baptism with the Holy Spirit is another belief that people hold to concerning the laying on of hands. And I totally, absolutely reject, completely reject the belief that a person receives the Holy Spirit after they have been saved. I sincerely believe that a person is saved by the restoration of the Holy Spirit. I believe that those who think of this as a separate event have no concept, do not believe, the true gospel of God. I just don't see how they can believe in the true gospel if they believe that a person receives the Holy Spirit after salvation. To me, receiving the Holy Spirit is salvation. Now, of course, a person can certainly be saved. They don't need my permission to be saved. They don't need to believe everything that I believe. I would just simply say that in that case, they are confused. And if they are saved, they are going to be saved by the grace and mercy of God. But where does all of this really lead? What is all of this really about? I mean, is it really just a matter of arguing over various theologies, or is there is there a better end to all of this? Well, it turns out that there is. There is a better end to this. There is something more important than trying to reconcile all of the differences that we see in the scriptures concerning any subject. And that is that the purpose of the Lord our God in providing us with the scriptures, the purpose that he had in doing that was to provide us with a testimony of who he is. Instead, everybody is going through these scriptures trying to figure out what they are supposed to be doing, how they are supposed to be living, how they are supposed to be behaving, and how they are to try to get everybody else around them to live and behave. Instead of recognizing that the purpose of the Bible, the purpose of the scriptures, 
is to testify of the living God so that we might know who he is. That's what the Christian life is truly about. The Christian life is about knowing your God. It is not about, did you have your baptism performed in the proper way? It was not about, did somebody lay hands on you to transfer any necessary authority to you? It's not about whether or not you received certain gifts or whether you still have them or whether you need to gain more. It's not about whether you are healed, at least not in your flesh. The healing, the true healing that is of value is that in a person's heart. And I have known, I tell you, I have known so many people who have experienced healings in their flesh, but have definitely not received any healing in their heart, in their soul, in their spirit. That is a real issue. This is not about whether or not you're going to gain something or get something from God. This is about getting your God. This is about having Him. It is about knowing Him, and it is about living your life with Him, walking in your daily lives with your successes, with your failures, with the things that you have, with the things you don't have, regardless of what you face, how you live, or how you die. None of that is of any importance in comparison with knowing your God and living this life with the experience of having Him with you and you being with Him. That is a mutual relationship that we have been called to. But all these other arguments concerning how we are to be baptized or whether or not we're going to have hands laid upon each other in a certain way by a specified person, all these kinds of things, especially when it comes to the disagreements, they are nothing more than a bunch of religious stuff. That's the best way I can describe it in a reasonably polite way. It's nothing more than a bunch of religious stuff. That's all that this is about And this is not unusual to me. I mean, it may be unusual to you or perhaps maybe a little new to you, but this is definitely not new to me. Consider, for example, the phrase that I have used a couple of times in this program, which is reconciling the differences. You know, there's some history to that. For those of you who have heard the program that I did, do not do according to their takanote. You might recognize that. And if you have not heard that program, I would like to encourage you to listen to it because it's in that program that I define the history of Pharisaical Judaism. The title of that, again, is Do Not Do According to Their Takanot, and you can download that from our website archive, or you can contact me and I can send you a CD. But this message about the history of Pharisaical Judaism, the core history of Pharisaical Judaism, has to do with reconciling the differences of the Sophers in Babylon, those who were the forefathers of Pharisaical Judaism. You see, when the Jews were taken as captives, as slaves into Babylon, they went into Babylon and they recognized that they were there because they sinned. So they decided to try to live a different kind of lifestyle. They tried to define a lifestyle, a way of living, so that they would never come within the boundaries of violating any of the commandments that were given through Moses. They decided that they would try to define a lifestyle that would prevent them from ever sinning. We do things in a very similar way in Christianity today. We have things called fence laws or principles for daily living, things like that. But really they are derived out of the same philosophical concept, the same philosophy. And that is that you can find a way to avoid sinning in your life by living in a specified, appropriate way. The agreement that they made with each other, though, that is the Pharisees in Babylon... 
The agreement that they made was that they could disagree with each other, but that they would never disagree with Moses. And then around the second century BC, there was a radical shift in philosophical thought and religious thought in the pharisaical circles, and that was that those sophers who had originally agreed to disagree with each other, that they didn't really disagree with each other, but that they actually had pieces of the fullness of the lifestyle that everyone was supposed to live by. And there was an official declaration that what they did dictate was actually the oral law of Moses, that which he didn't have time to write down. Well, it's the same thing today. People go into the New Testament. We have theologians who go into the New Testament and recognize that there are some differences, that there are some differences concerning what people did, in what order, in what way. And let me tell you something. This does not shake my foundation concerning the scriptures of the Bible. I do believe that it definitely is the word of God and that while there appears to be contradictions, I believe that those contradictions are not contradictions when you view them from a historical context and from a cultural context. And most of the work that I've done concerning the life of Christ and, of course, the study on the book of Acts shows that, that everything is very consistent. And some other programs that I've done, such as Faith Only or Faith in Works, I've done a lot of work that shows very clearly that I do believe in the integrity of the scriptures. But what people are doing today in Christianity, what the theologians of Christianity have done throughout the past 2,000 years and continued to perpetuate or perpetrate today is the exact same thing that the Pharisaical rabbis did before the time of Christ Jesus where they are trying to reconcile differences in order to determine the correct Christian lifestyle and it just isn't going to work. It just is not going to happen. That's not the way things happened. That's not the way things were recorded. That's not why they were recorded in the ways that they were in the scriptures. Use the scriptures for the purpose for which God gave the scriptures, which was a means that he would use in order to testify to us about who he is. I am out of time for this broadcast, and so I will continue on this subject of the laying on of hands in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net that you may